It's important to be culturally appropriate and welcoming with every group of people that we work with. But Maori have a special place in New Zealand, being the original peoples of the country, having the you know special role that they play. And so it's worthwhile, in our view, to invest in getting that to work as well as possible and to do it as well as we can. Andy Schenk, Chief Executive of Auckland Uniservices, the commercialization subsidiary of University of Auckland, joins us on Talking Tech Transfer to discuss how the office collaborates with the Maori people and why that matters, what the opportunities and challenges are around big data and AI, and why being a remote country is an asset for space tech. He also tells us why New Zealand is missing serial entrepreneurs, despite a willingness for people to try their hands at startups, and why Auckland Uniservices not only creates spin-outs or handles licenses, but also operates its own businesses, including the one that trains COVID-19 vaccinators across the country and several Pacific Island nations. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, and I'm glad to be here. It is a great pleasure to have you. You're my first guest from New Zealand as well, so that's great. Super. To start with, can you give me an overview of Auckland Uniservices and some key figures if you have them handy? Sure. Uniservices is the research, commercialization, and knowledge transfer company that's wholly owned by the University of Auckland. And unlike many organizations in this field, we're involved from the very beginning of an idea because we're involved in attracting research funding and contracting that research funding that comes into our university, as well as protecting the outputs of those research programs, be it through patents, trade secrets, or what have you, and then turning them into commercial outcomes sometimes through startup companies that we create, sometimes through licensing to existing companies, and sometimes through creating and operating our own businesses, which we run for both the impact that it creates, but also the revenues and profits that they generate. To give you some figures, we have a staff of about 400 people. Wow, okay. We raised about $250 million in third-party investment into our startups between 2016 and 2020. And during that period, we started about 40 new companies. Because we're a profit center, we generate significant returns for our university owner, but we also are able to return our profits back into our investing and business development activities. So we don't receive funds or support from our parent. We're a net contributor to our parent. Wow, amazing. You've run a wide range of initiatives at Uniservices, Velocity Vanguard Inventors Fund. Can you tell me a little bit more about these? Sure. I'll actually separate those into two types because Velocity and Vanguard are actually programs of the University of Auckland Business School, Okay. where we're sponsors and significant participants. So I'll start with Velocity. This is a student-run entrepreneurship program that has multiple different offerings in it, but the largest one is the 100K Challenge, where teams work with a mentor to develop their ideas. Then there's a pitching competition, and the winners receive financial support and the opportunity to enter an incubator program and turn their idea into reality. Velocity has been hugely successful over the years. 
and almost 10% of the student body of the University of Auckland go through it one or more of their programs every year, which is nearly 4,000 students a year. So quite a large cohort and quite a lot of activity. Vanguard is a specific program for the Velocity winners, where they and others are taken up to the Bay Area to meet with players in the startup ecosystem, but also the startup investment community in the Bay Area, some of whom use that as a landing pad to continue on with their businesses. Vanguard has not been able to operate during the COVID years, unfortunately, but we do expect to return to that when we're able. Now, the University of Auckland Inventors Fund is our own investment fund that we use to invest in startups that come from researchers, academics, and students from the University of Auckland. It's a $20 million evergreen fund, and we return the realizations from our startups when we exit back into the fund. So it gives us a sustainable way to be the first investor in new startups from the University of Auckland. Amazing. You also have the Return on Science program. Can you tell me a little bit about that one as well? Happy to, sure. So Return on Science and its sister program, Momentum, are a collection of investment committees that we operate but they're supported by the New Zealand government so that we can make access to those investment committees available to anyone who wishes to access them. So any university, any research institute, private individuals, whomever wants to seek advice and steering and leads to people they might need to talk to, they can come to one of our committees. Now, Return on Science has five specialty areas that it operates. And they are agri-tech and food, biotech and pharma, digital technologies, physical sciences and engineering, and medtech and surgery. And they're made up of experts from the field. Some of them are key opinion leader researchers. Some are serial entrepreneurs. Some are experienced early stage investors. And they advise at quite a detailed level on the technologies and the commercial opportunities. Momentum is a parallel program in which we recruit advanced students and form committees with them, with a few of those seasoned experts alongside them. And they're regionally based. So we have five of them at the moment, and they're spread from the North Island to the tip of the South Island of New Zealand. Importantly, those student committees are there not just for the development of the people on them, but to create an environment that's more conducive for students when they bring their ideas forward and they're interacting with their peers. But they are accredited just like the Return on Science Committees with deploying pre-seed accelerator funding, which comes from the New Zealand government. So they are proper investment committees with the same powers and scope and responsibility as our sector-focused committees. One of your colleagues, and please forgive me, I will probably mispronounce the name, Tui. Komona? Komoana is how it's pronounced. Komoana, thank you. It's responsible for connecting universities to the Maori communities. Can you tell me a little bit more about that role and why it was created? Sure, I'd be happy to. So Tui is our kaiārahi, which is te reo Maori for guide or leader, or sometimes it can also mean bridge. And her role is to advise me and the rest of the company on how We need to approach engagement with 
Maori communities, tribes, and other organizations, how to be culturally appropriate in our interactions. And uh, she also opens doors for us when we know that we want to engage with a particular group. She is very widely connected through the Maori community, and so she can be that door opener for us. But the work is really about helping us be better at what we do and then helping us engage more effectively. Now, why is that important? For us, we think it's important to be culturally appropriate and welcoming with every group of people that we work with. But Maori have a special place in New Zealand, being the original peoples of the country, having the you know, special role that they play. And so it's worthwhile, in our view, to invest in getting that to work as well as possible and to do it as well as we can. So that's the reason for her role. That makes perfect sense. How does your engagement from researchers and maybe your own stuff in general fare when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Well, um, we put a lot of effort and attention to this. You might imagine that what we learn and practice when we're engaging with Maori is helpful in other cultural settings as well. And we are ourselves very diverse. Amongst our 400 staff, we have at least 29 countries of origin. Wow. I don't know how many different languages we speak, but we speak quite a few. And similarly, if we think about gender diversity, about 77% of our staff are female or gender diverse. And so we have a very unique makeup, partly because of the type of work we do, but also because of the way we go about building our teams. What is working well in Auckland's ecosystem? And what are the challenges? I'm assuming you have challenges. <laughs> of course, we always have challenges. When I thought about this question, when you sent them to me earlier, I was thinking principally about the ecosystem in and around the University of Auckland. So I'll answer there. But if you mean something different, we can talk about that as well. In and around the university, we have a well-established model that helps us recognize opportunities and help teams coalesce around their business ideas. And we have been doing this for more than three decades. And so we have a reasonable track record and experience of doing it. At the moment, our biggest challenge is access to markets. The international border of New Zealand is not yet open. It is possible to travel outside the country, but it's extraordinarily difficult. And so we have not been traveling. So in some senses, we are falling behind a little bit in making the connections, particularly for brand new ideas, brand new opportunities that no one knows about yet. Getting traction with those is quite difficult. If I think particularly in terms of the innovation area, we have reasonable access to capital. We have reasonable access to talent, and we have very, very high quality research to draw from. So we have all the elements that you might think we would need, but we don't have a lot of any of those things. We are actually quite blessed with research, and there is capital, there just isn't an abundance of capital. And there is talent, but there isn't an abundance of talent, particularly experienced talent who've been involved in more than one startup or licensing activity. So I think we have a good and vibrant ecosystem, and we are growing. But we have lots of growth still to come, I would say. That makes sense. Is the capital that you do have 
generally local capital or national capital, or do you seek investors overseas as well? All of the above, basically. There are some New Zealand government programs that are designed to support the creation of new early stage investment firms and VC firms and to take some of the financial risk so that those firms can raise the capital they need and get to the scale that they need to be self-sustaining. So that's an intervention that's worked very well, and we're a beneficiary of that, not directly, but we know that our companies will have access to capital when they need it because there's follow-on capital to go after ours. Our companies tend to start out financed domestically, but fairly quickly end up with a combination of international and domestic financing because of the nature of the both the areas that they're involved in and the scale of the capital required. So it's a bit of both. Talking about Thailand for a second as well, is it generally Kiwi people that work for your companies or maybe now with the pandemic, it's easier to find talent overseas as well? I don't know. It often is Kiwis, but that doesn't mean that they're homogeneous, <laughs> frankly, because just like we have 29 countries in our staff, Auckland is a super diverse city. It's one of the top cities in the world for the proportion of people who were born somewhere else in the world. Okay. So we have a very, very cosmopolitan mix of people and backgrounds, experience, ethnicities, and so forth. So our staff often come from within that pool, but that's a pretty rich pool. It's not like some places. Attracting new talent, young talent that have opportunities and potential to grow is relatively straightforward for us. It's the experienced talent that's the rarest. We definitely appreciate when we come across a serial entrepreneur as being someone who not only can prosper with their next opportunity, but can be a mentor for others who have not yet had that kind of experience. It's one of the reasons for the Momentum program is to grow talent for the future, and that's working very well. What we're focused on right this minute is governance talent, because even if we have a management team and we have everything that we need, we don't always have directors who can go on boards who are as experienced in the startup environment as we might wish. So that's a current target for us. What is your view of the New Zealand ecosystem more broadly outside of Auckland? Well, I'd say it's pretty buoyant. Uh, we have the advantage that a part of the kind of national culture here in New Zealand is one of inventiveness and give it a go kind of attitudes, which is very helpful. The willingness for people to imagine a different career path for themselves is reasonably high, and that's very good. We have quite large and growing angel networks across the country, so we have a certain kind of early investment available to us relatively small number of professional investors in these kinds of companies. So that's why the government has targeted that area, and we certainly support and benefit from that. But I would say it's a healthy and growing ecosystem in the country in general. Amazing. How would you say does it compare to Australia or other international peers? Now, looking at Australia in particular, on a per dollar of research and per capita basis, we do pretty well. Australia is a larger country. They spend substantially more on research than we do because they have a larger budget being a larger country. 
In some ways, that willingness that I mentioned of people from this community putting their hand up and saying, I want to be part of something new is probably a little more frequent here than it is in Australia. And so uh, I think we compare pretty well. We have for a long time been seen as functioning well under the circumstances, if you like. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird it, compliment. <laughs> it is a weird compliment. But uh, there was an MIT report that looked at these sorts of things many years ago, and they said, well, Auckland's not bad under the circumstances. And one of the key circumstances is that distance from market, distance from collaborators, and so forth. In normal times, it's not a problem because we're also very heavily traveled. So we get on planes quite frequently, we go long distances, and we're used to it. Right now, we're not able to do that, and it is holding us back a bit. As you said, New Zealand, relatively small country, fairly remote. How does that impact how you do business? Do your companies generally try and expand internationally as fast as they can? They definitely try to expand internationally. I wouldn't say automatically as best they can, because there are some who are able to use our population of 5 million of people who are often willing to try a new idea or to buy a new product as a test bed. So they might operate here for a period of time and get some traction, refine their offering and so forth, almost as a test market. It is, though, rare for a company to have its entire lifespan here unless it's got an offering that all 5 million people want to buy and they want to buy it frequently. It's hard to achieve the sort of full impact that a new opportunity would have in such a small market. So we do often end up international, but sometimes there's something very special going on. We have a rapidly growing space program here in New Zealand, for example. And that's because there are a couple of keystone companies that have made a big difference in their approach, Rocket Lab being the most prominent of them. But it's also because our geographic position makes launch opportunities much more accessible than almost anywhere else in the world. Downrange from us is a vast expanse of empty Pacific between us and the tip of South America and the northern edge of Antarctica. It's actually a brilliant place to do this. It's a special and very good place. So we have examples of that as well, where there's something unique to be pursued here. That is amazing. I never thought of New Zealand as a space nation, but when you talk about it, it really makes sense. Well, it does. And in terms of particularly smaller satellites, more affordable, so you can do things that are difficult to do otherwise, we're, I would say, arguably, as a nation, we're leading in that area. None of us would have perhaps predicted it. But if you could do a launch for a few million dollars instead of a few hundred million dollars, it changes the economics and the accessibility of space for other firms. Yeah, that's very true. I need to do more research into space in New Zealand, clearly. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Now, look at Rocket Lab. They're going very, very well. I will. When your spin-offs do go international, do they try and keep a base in New Zealand or do they up and leave and move their headquarters to, I don't know, the Bay Area, for example? Well, sometimes they may move their headquarters, but that doesn't stop them from maintaining a connection. Because the vast majority of our startups come from a deep research basis uh, of some form, it's very common for that R&D and continued early product development relationship 
to continue here in New Zealand. So we have some companies that we would have spun out nearly 20 years ago, and they still have large R&D connections and active programs going on with uh, researchers at the university. So they don't just walk away, get on the plane and never come back. The parts that are critical to their success, they maintain. That makes sense. You wrote a comment in September about using big data for good in a post-COVID New Zealand. You argued that big data and AI would help the country deal with the virus once it becomes endemic. Hopefully we're nearing that point. And how it could drive other health innovations like eye care. If we imagine New Zealand 10 years from now, how does this vision of big data shape the country it will be? And how will Auckland Uniservices help the country not fall behind others like China, which are already making significant strides in AI? These are not sort of weightless technologies. They do require investment and they require people to work on, but the breakthroughs can be closer to being weightless. The grunt work of expanding something takes dollars and effort in a more normal way, but the inventive part can happen anywhere. That's one point that I would mention. Because we are an attractive environment to do lots of different kinds of work, including this kind, And during COVID, we've been an extraordinarily safe and open place for most of the COVID experience. It's meant that we've been able to attract some very high quality talent, even if not a large number of people involved in the cutting edge of AI. That's one way. I think the other way is quite important and links to our makeup as a nation. And that is that I think we'll be a model of the responsible use of data of this type, in particular in relation to indigenous rights, data sovereignty, and so forth, because those are large active issues here in New Zealand, and we're embracing them and working hard to incorporate them in the way we use data. It's important for two reasons. It's important because that's almost an obligation on our nation because of the way we were founded. But more than that, it's an opportunity to reach those who might benefit the greatest but have the least natural access to things like AI. Because in a kind of no community left behind approach, particularly where there's indigenous data sovereignty as a key principle, it leads you to find solutions that can only be exercised through that indigenous or culturally appropriate lens. So I hope our future looks like that. Not AI perhaps used almost against people, but AI used for and in support of people. That would be great. That's the kind of AI that I would want as well. Mm. I think most people do. In the article, you also pointed out the issue of cybersecurity with data sovereignty as well. Do you think Auckland Uniservices and other tech transfer offices will have to play an increasingly important role in safeguarding people from malicious actors? Well, we... Yes, but we would struggle to take a kind of controlling role. But as we always do, all of us in this sector are thinking about where are not just the needs of today, but the needs of the future. And do our researchers and those who generate the solutions, are they aware of and potentially working on solutions that could help with that future in the future landscape? And it it is our responsibility to make sure we share our understanding of the need as broadly as possible and try to attract or recruit 
researchers to the idea of working on some of these grand challenges so that we can then help them make an impact from them. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So I think we have, yes, an increasingly important role, even though we can't with our own hands and our own efforts provide the solution, we can encourage and support solutions. That makes sense. I want to pick up on the thing you said about using AI against people. There is always a danger that other nations might pursue that, even if New Zealand doesn't. Do you think that means TTOs will have to make their researchers and their companies aware that that is a possibility and help them prepare to protect themselves from that? Yes, again, yes. But just as we have to for lots of other drivers and forces acting on what we do as well, if we think about the almost package of offerings that we provide to our startups and the researchers we work with, it's about lots of things, including IP management, protection from infringement, the way to recognize and perhaps counter unfair market practices you might come up against. A wide range of things are about, again, sharing our knowledge and our understanding of what's happening in the outside world and bringing it into the university and the creative environment, not as a deterrent, but as a way to say it's a grown-up and sometimes scary world out there. And if your purpose requires you to operate out in that world, to be able to achieve your purpose, you also have to protect yourself and to protect what you're doing. And so I think we have a much broader than just hacking or cybersecurity or whatever contribution that we can make by sharing what we understand the context is. I want to look at your own career as well. You've been with Auckland Unit Services since 2013. How did you get into tech transfer and why did you join Auckland? All right, how did I get here? Well, I started as an academic researcher in a medical school, and then I left there and joined a biotech startup and then I joined a major corporate, and then I helped set up and then ran a corporate venture fund, and that led me to Auckland Uni Services. During my time in the biotech startup and also in the corporate, we were often acquiring R&D support from universities, one of which was the University of Auckland. So I had encountered and done business with Auckland Uni Services many years ago from the other side of the equation. So it was an organization that I knew. One of the things that attracted me was that it's an organization that thrives in the academic environment of our owner, our shareholder, the University of Auckland, but it is also a business. And so it can be a translator, is a translator between those two worlds. And I knew that I could have a business-like commercial relationship with Auckland Uni Services that I couldn't always have with a some other university I might be engaging with when I was purchasing R&D. So that was helpful to know about the organization. When I looked specifically at the opportunity of joining the company, part of what I was struck by was not just the diversity of the company, but the diversity of the deal flow and the opportunities that were being worked on. And that's something that's very appealing to me. Literally every day, something new comes up. We meet some new team, we come up with something new, or something happens with one of our existing companies that was surprising, hopefully surprising in a positive way. 
And that variety and stretch, it's just a very appealing thing to be part of for me. I get that. I'm assuming that's one of the reasons why you stayed at Auckland for the past eight years and haven't moved somewhere else. Well, yeah, it is. You know, that fact that every day is different and what we do is very rewarding, not just in the startup space as well. If I think about the businesses that we wholly own and operate, we are delivering, for example, the training for all of the COVID vaccinators in New Zealand wow. and in several of the Pacific Island nations. So one of our businesses is the Immunization Advisory Center for New Zealand. Wow. For example, so it's translating research knowledge about epidemiology and vaccinology into what does a physician need to know when they're talking with their patients and how can we educate that physician so that they can have the most effective contribution to the vaccine rollout and so forth. We operate a number of businesses like that that take research and expertise from our university and then apply them in the community in some way. That is amazing. You know, it's quite a rewarding thing to do. It also generates the returns required to keep our fund healthy and to allow us to be self-sustaining in the way that we operate. So it's a virtuous connection. I am starting to see why you have 400 staff. Yeah, the vast majority of the staff are in those executional type businesses, running big programs, that sort of thing. What would you say to someone who is starting out in tech transfer today? Uh, Several things, but the main thing that I would say is that be open to new ideas. Be a good listener. Be thinking about, with each thing that you encounter, the opportunity for its future, even surprising opportunity that perhaps the team working on it haven't thought of. The second part of it is to be generous with the ideas that you share with others to help them succeed. Our company ethos is one of providing a safe path forward for the inventors that we work with and the researchers and so forth. And sometimes that safe path is into a startup that we invest in and it grows rapidly and goes on. Sometimes it is, actually, this is better knowledge shared with the general public and we shouldn't start a company around it, but that's okay this value. It's just the value that we see is different than a straight commercial sort of value. We try not to hold those ideas or those insights back. And we certainly don't go up to a team and say, and now I'll take 20% of your company because I gave you a great idea. So part of being generous is recognizing that we're here to make them successful. And what we contribute ultimately helps us be successful, but the purpose is shared with those who share their ideas with us. That's wonderful. If you had a magic wand, is there anything that you would change about tech transfer, either at Auckland or more broadly? Well, yes, there is. Here in New Zealand, even though we have a culture of inventiveness and willingness to give something a go, there is also the downside that people who fail, if they fail at a large scale, those people are often seen as failures. Whereas it might have been that venture or that business opportunity or that market did not materialize as they expected. So the program of work, the company, whatever might have failed, but the person themselves is not a failure in my view. They're a person who took a risk and not all risks pay back in the way that you would hope. So a higher degree of sort of tolerance and understanding that for us all to move forward, some people are going to be further ahead than others. 
And those people need our support and our understanding if they're going to be willing to do it again, because the next idea might be the transformative idea for everyone. We could all do a better job about that. Obviously, we don't want people to take inappropriate risks that are almost guaranteed to fail. That's not helping anyone. But I think we do need to understand that And our portfolio is no different from anyone else's. Out of 10 companies we start, one or two pay back the investment we made in all 10, and then some. And some of the others continue but don't really thrive, and some don't work. That's the nature of the activity. It's perfectly fine. It's what we all expect who do it every day. So a bit of openness to that and understanding would be a great help. I suppose that comes back to the serial entrepreneurs that you mentioned earlier, if someone does it once and then they regard it as a failure, if it doesn't work out and they don't come back, then you've lost a potential serial entrepreneur who could try two or three times until they get the billion dollar company in. Yeah, we've lost them and also we lost what they learned. True. Because sometimes it can be brilliant for someone to say, I now know this isn't the right way forward. Terrific. Then we don't need to go down that path again. Let's find a new path and see if we can get there. So we just don't want to lose any of that if we can help it. That's a very good point. I want to talk about some successes, though. Can you give me some examples of portfolio companies that have been successes and that you're proud of? This is a tricky one because there are too many to talk about and probably in the time that we have. And there's some of all kinds. There's some that have done extremely well and some of whatever, but the quality of what they've learned, the commitment, etc., is terrific. So I'll pick a couple. We do have, even though they're rare, we do have some serial entrepreneurs and in particular, some very startup-oriented researchers. So they know that they are researchers. They prefer to stay researchers, but they generate valuable commercial ideas. And we have one of those in a company called Olimetry right now. He's a physician. He's a researcher. He's also incredibly creative and commercially oriented. And we know that each time he brings us an idea, it's going to be well thought out. It's going to be interesting. And it's going to be more advanced than when we normally have an invention disclosure kind of discussion with the team. So we're always delighted to see him and his colleagues because it's going to be something good, whether we end up investing in it or not. It's going to be a great idea well-founded and well-worked through. So that's just a pleasure to be with. You say, glad to see you again, and you welcome them with open arms. I think the other thing that I've been very gratified to see, and we put a lot of effort in trying to help, is we see a growing number of student-led companies that are oriented towards social benefit as well as commercial success, and genuinely oriented toward that social benefit. And that's terrific to see. We have one called Kara Technologies, which uses avatars to teach New Zealand sign language. Okay, wow. And it's there to help make sign language learning and translation much more accessible. And it's founded by someone who's hearing impaired themselves. So it's, you know, one of those terrific things that you see. And it's easy to understand. You can operate it. You can watch it. You can learn from it. You don't have to be hearing impaired. In fact, it's encouraged that people who are not, but might know someone or want to add 
a new language to their repertoire can use these tools in a way that's much more scalable than you would have any kind of language learning with a teacher in a classroom. It's just one of those terrific combinations of an opportunity, an understanding of where that market might be, and some very clever technology that they've put together. So that's another one to be proud of. That sounds wonderful. When you say student-led companies are the ones that tend to have more of a social angle, is that something that you expect your spin-outs to have as well as we move on? Well, yes. I think the environment for new entrepreneurial activities has expanded to include those. If I look at my own time in this space, it wasn't unusual to see an idea for something new, but it wasn't going to be sustainable commercially on its own. It required philanthropy or government intervention or something to be able to achieve its ends. And we always struggled to help organizations like that because we knew that we could help them for a short term, but we didn't have a way to make them sustainable in the long term. What has emerged from a lot of student entrepreneurs is a combination of balance between those two that allows them to be the masters of their own future. And that's a great solution. You can be oriented toward that public benefit, that social impact that you're wanting to make. And if you're financially sustainable, then you can continue to do it as long as you have a passion for that benefit. And that's a great outcome, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. That almost brings us to the end. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about Auckland? No, I think I've covered pretty much everything I wanted to cover with you. I think that key thing for us is the link to research from the very beginning. That underpins everything that we do. It means that we can see an idea coming for a potential startup or license or a wholly owned business literally from years away. And we can be providing that external intelligence and market signals to the researchers who are interested in it right from the very beginning. Now, we don't control what researchers do, and we think it would be very dangerous and inappropriate to try, so we don't do it. But we do say, if you're thinking about applying this someday, if you thought about it this way, it may be easier for us to help you in the future than if you go down a different path, but it's up to you. And that's hard to do without that long-term perspective. So I would encourage people who have the opportunity to get close to the whole range rather than just in a sense, wait for something to be packaged up and finished and then shared with them, because you can do more if you have patience and the long-term view, I believe. So put some effort there would be my suggestion. I think those are very wise and memorable closing words. Andy, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you and get to know more about Auckland Services. Well, thank you again for the invitation. It's been a delightful experience for us too. And all the best, and we'll look to see you again. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Hales. It is produced by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find us at globaluniversityventuring.com, on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, or on Twitter at GU Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find them on inearproduction.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an interview. 
We'd also really love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or if you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps us grow our audience. You can also reach out to me directly with feedback. Just email thelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.